I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading this morning. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 through 13, and we're hearing uh, as, as Elijah is about to receive a message from the Lord, so let's read together. He said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Any one of us, regardless of genre, we know when something is transcendent enough to be truly spectacular. And what you do is astounding, and I just wanted to pay my respect by pressing my button. Thank you, sir. But I don't want you to pick me. Whoa, this reverse psychology. Because that would be far too daring. Oh, my God. And far too bold. (laughs) And we might go way too far (laughs) together. These games. Thank you, thank you. So don't you dare. Don't you dare pick me, Dexter. (laughs) Will you do me one favor? Will you ask them who sings that song you performed tonight? No, I don't know. But I you don't know either. You don't know 99% of the songs anyone sings you on this show. Yeah, that's not fair. I this mean, is not on. who wants to be a millionaire. We're not trying to ask trivia questions here. If you were a pop singer, he'd be saying the exact opposite. Hey. He'd be like, I'm just a fan of music and I'm a fan of you. That makes no sense. He wants to limit you, Dexter. And we're here to expand your horizons. So if you were standing on, on the stage and had four recording superstars arguing over you, who would you pick? Which voice would you listen to? So if you've, uh, if you've seen the voice, you know that, uh, that a contestant sings to the back of the coaches who then have the option to hit a button if they like what they hear, and then uh, that means that they're willing to coach that person and try to help them to win the competition. Whenever multiple judges turn around, uh, whenever multiple coaches turn around, um, then they have to give their pitch as to why the contestant should choose them. And, and as it happened in that video, if all four turn around, then that's really good for you. You get to choose whoever you would like. And so who would you choose? Would you choose the one who's stylistically most like you? Would you choose the one who has the best track record because you've watched every season of The Voice? Do you pick the one who, who, just, who is the most flattering? How, how do you make that decision? That's what we're going to talk about today. Whenever there are competing voices, how do we choose the one that we listen to? The answer is John Legend. You can figure that one out on your own. <laughs> We're in the middle of a new sermon series. It's called The Voice, Hearing God in a Noisy World. And last week, Pastor John kicked us off and talked to us about the story of Samuel. Samuel is one of the great prophets and judges in, in the kingdom of Israel, actually the kingdom of Israel, in the nation of Israel before it became a kingdom. And, um, and we picked up on his story whenever he was a child. And uh, one night he was in bed and he heard someone calling his name. So he got up and there was only one other person in the building and that was his mentor, Eli. And so he said, Eli, you called me. And Eli's like, what are you talking about? Go back to bed. And, and it happened again. He heard his voice. And so he went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. And Eli said, stop stalling and go to bed. I did not call your name. And then it happened again. And finally, Eli figured out something was going on. And so he figured out it must be God speaking to Samuel. And so he said to him, um, whenever you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. 
And so Samuel did, and, and he listened and encountered God, and it totally changed the course of his life. And what Pastor John reminded us is that God didn't just speak to Samuel a long time ago, and that's it, but God is still speaking to us today. And if we listen, we can continue to hear God's voice. And so we're continuing in this series and uh, continuing to, to ask, how do we listen to God's voice? And specifically today, we're asking, how do we pick out the voice of God whenever we're bombarded by so many voices? Because we're bombarded by voices that compete for our time, our attention, and ultimately our hearts. Ultimately, that want to take our hearts and, and run with them, that, that will capture us, will capture our attention, and, and will take as much of us as they can get. And why this matters so much is that the voices we heed will determine the course of our lives. The voices that we choose to follow will determine which, which choices we make, how we live, and ultimately where we end up. And a lot of times the voices that we're listening to, sometimes we don't even, remember, we don't even realize what's going on. We don't realize that, that we're actually listening to this voice that's in our head until we're well down the road. Sometimes we don't ever realize it, that we've been playing to someone else's script. And so that's what we're looking at. And, and these voices come from a variety of different sources, from advertising, from um, the media we consume, from our families of origin. And uh, I, we had an experience with this earlier this week. My wife and I had, this, um, had most of a set of luggage, and we just lacked the big, the big piece that would cap off the set. And uh, so, you know, on those longer trips, or, well, if we're honest, the shorter trips where we overpack, we didn't have quite the capacity that we wanted. And so um, it was her birthday, and she asked for the... the the luggage, this suitcase, and she got it. And um, also, we're coming to terms with the fact that we're at a stage in our life where luggage is a good gift that we're excited about. But you know, there we are. And uh, so we got it and got it home. And I, I just looked over and uh, I noticed that the packaging on it had had an interesting claim that I didn't just get a suitcase. I also, whenever I got that, got everlasting peace of mind. That's a much better deal than I thought it was whenever we bought it. <laughs> everlasting peace of mind. Apparently, I should be worrying about the stuff in my suitcase a lot more than I have been if that's where it, everlasting peace of mind comes from. Also, uh, what are the limitations on the warranty? Because those two things don't really seem to go together. But we hear these absurd claims like a piece of luggage can give you everlasting peace of mind. Um, and that's probably one of the more absurd examples, but we're bombarded by claims like this all the time. And, you know, we know in our minds that, that a suitcase doesn't give peace of mind, right? I mean, the only time I worry about my suitcase is when somebody else's comes out on the luggage conveyor before mine and it's exploded. But other than that, I mean, I don't, I don't worry too much about it. We know that those claims are absurd, but if you're like me, you know in your head that they're not true, but then sometimes you find yourself, you know, we know that the stuff we buy isn't going to make us happy, isn't going to give us peace, but, you know, every now and then, why not try just in case? You know, I, I'm just going to buy something, and I know it's not going to make me happy, but if it does, that's okay too. I mean, I'm willing to take the chance. Sometimes our behavior doesn't quite catch up with the things that we know in our mind. Sometimes those messages that we know are absurd and, and that we think we reject are actually playing at a subconscious level and we're heeding them. We're listening to them. Maybe it's the media you consume. We, I don't, maybe you're a podcast person. You listen to a lot of them and I, I enjoy a good podcast and sometimes I suffer through a mediocre one. But the things that we listen to, the things that we consume, they, they shape us. They speak certain things to us and whether we consciously accept it or reject it, they have an effect on us. Or maybe the TV that you watch, the, the shows that you watch, the, the voices that you listen to. Um, it's true in social media too. The people that you follow, all of those things have an effect on us. 
and then our families as well. This is my family of origin. My sister is really excited right now that I chose that picture. Um, she's 22 now and doesn't quite look like that. But, uh, you know, I had a, I had a great upbringing, uh, loved my family, and, and there are things that I internalized just from being a part of my family that are messages that, that continue to play at my head really at a level below what I recognize. But we all have that in our families. The, the, those things that we take, some of them are things that were spoken aloud, and some of them are just things that we pick up. That if I'm going to be loved, then I have to get all A's. I always have to get everything right. Or if I'm going to get what I need, then I've got to take it because no one's going to give it to me. Whatever those messages are, we pick those up. And uh, often it's well into adulthood, if ever, that we realize the way that those are influencing us. All of these messages, all of these voices are competing in our heads. And so in the midst of so many competing voices, how do we discern the voice of God? How do we know which voice to listen to? And uh, when we talk about this, we're talking about the spiritual practice of discernment. How do we know what's the voice of God and, and what are voices that are just pretending to be God's? How do, how do we know which voice is the way that leads to life and which voice is leading us away from that? Whenever we have big decisions to make, which voices do we consult and which ones do we ignore? So that's what we're looking at. And to get at that, we're looking at the story of Elijah. And um, we heard it in the scripture today. Elijah was one of the most revered prophets of Israel, um, one of the um, prophets that was most well-remembered. And in fact, he was so highly regarded and so um, significant that whenever Jesus was transformed before some of his closest um, disciples at the transfiguration, the two people who appeared with him were Moses and Elijah. He, he's a powerful in the spirit of God, had a powerful relationship with God. God did amazing things through him. And he was operating at a time after the, the kingdom of Israel had split into two, to the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel in the north. And this was during the reign of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And if you're not familiar with those names, maybe you've heard Jezebel used as, as a name to call someone else. And, and in case you weren't sure, that's not a compliment. Um, as, as someone's not being nice to you if they call you that, generally, unless they don't know what they're talking about. But these were king and queen who were uh, not very nice. They had uh, taken, they turned the people of Israel away from worshiping the, the God of Jacob and of Abraham, and it led them toward Baal, um, who was a Canaanite fertility god. And they not only worshiped that God and encouraged the people to worship him as well, but even had the, pro the prophets of Israel's God killed. And uh, Elijah was one of the few who had escaped. And so they weren't, um, they weren't really um, beloved kings, king and queen. They weren't uh, very nice, didn't have the best interests of their subjects in mind. And so um, Elijah was constantly at odds in them. And at one point, God led him to take on the prophets of Baal in kind of a contest. And, and basically, the way that it was set up was there were two sacrifices. The prophets of Baal um, they prepared a sacrifice, um, and, and Elijah prepared one. And it was going to be a burnt offering, and, and the deal was both of them were going to pray to their gods, and whichever one acted and sent fire from heaven to ignite the sacrifice, that was the true God. And so um, they started up, and the prophets of Baal began praying and trying to get um, Baal to, to act and to light up the sacrifice, and nothing happened. And uh, they waited and continued praying, and, and nothing happened. And at that point, Elijah, he was kind of an honorary guy, and so he was kind of started taunting them. Hey, um, you know, maybe he walked away. I'm sure he'll be back soon. He just didn't hear you. Don't worry about it. And so they continued praying, and nothing happened. And then Elijah prayed, and God sent down fire from heaven, and, and the sacrifice was ignited. And after the people saw that and they, were, they realized who the true God was and, and they abandoned the prophets of Baal, they actually rounded them up. And that part of the story doesn't end well for them. We're just going to leave that there for now. That's another sermon. 
But Elijah had this victory. He had defeated the prophets of Baal. He had demonstrated the power of God before all of the people. And so this, this prophet who had struggled so hard to try to get the people to turn back and to return to God um, had finally had this victory. And yet the king and queen were not moved. He, he defeated the prophets of Baal, but he only evoked the ire of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And in doing so, they, they not only didn't turn back, but they decided they were going to have Elijah killed. Uh, Jezebel said, I'm coming for you. And so Elijah ran. He ran and he was in despair. He thought finally that he had achieved victory, that he was going to turn the people back, that what he'd worked so hard for was finally going to come true. And the scripture said that he despaired of his life, that he didn't even care if he lived anymore. He was so depressed, he was the only one left. And so he ran. And the place that he ended up to with the guidance and care of God was Mount Horeb. He fled for his life to Mount Horeb, and this was not just any mountain, but it was a holy mountain, a place where, um, where you may remember God appeared to Moses. This is where God gave the law to Moses and to the people of Israel. It's also known as Mount Sinai. And so he went to this holy place seeking God at a time that he was totally desperate, that he was totally despairing, that he was not even sure he wanted to continue to live. And so he went there and he waited, and God said that he was about to pass by, and, and this is what happened. So he, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces. Now I've lived in Oklahoma almost my entire life, and, and I've seen some strong wind. Has anyone seen, um, seen a wind that would break mountains in pieces? So no one's raising their hands. So I'm, that, I'm thinking this is like F5 plus winds. Maybe the meteorologically trained can, can let me know what that would classify as. But this was a serious wind. And so surely any wind that had that kind of power, the Lord had to be in that wind, right? But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake... Okay, and something, so something that's so powerful that it has the power to shake the earth, to, to shake the, the foundations of the world and make the ground move. Surely God's power has to be in that. Surely the Lord is in an earthquake, right? No, the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Okay, so we know, just, we just saw Elijah had this competition with the prophets of Baal and, and God showed up and, and dropped fire onto the sacrifice. That was the sign of God's presence and, and God's power. So we know God shows up in fire. In fact, if we go back to the beginning of the book of Exodus, how does God appear to Moses as a burning bush is fire? So surely God is, is, the Lord has to be in the fire. But no, the text says the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were Elijah, I would not expect God to show up in silence. I mean, I would have gone with the fire, option C, that was apparently not the right one. And somehow Elijah knew he had the discernment to know and to wait and not to walk out. That would have been a dangerous time to walk out of your cave with all that stuff going on. But he waited, and he, he somehow discerned that whenever he heard the sound of sheer silence, that that's where God was. And he wrapped his face in his mantle as a sign of awe and reverence, and, and he walked out to receive the word of the Lord. Elijah encountered God in sheer silence, totally differently from the way that he'd previously encountered God. And, you know, I wonder... I wonder at a time whenever he was despairing of his life, whenever he felt like everything that he had worked for had come to nothing, whenever he felt like he was totally alone, if, if he needed, if God needed him to know 
that even though he couldn't hear God, even though he couldn't see God, that God was moving, even when it seemed like things were totally silent. I wonder if that's the message. I don't know, that's speculation, but I wonder if that's what was going on. But, but what I do know and what we can see is, is, as with Elijah, that God's voice rarely conforms to our expectations. Right? We expect God to show up in, in the, the powerful wind that shakes mountains and, and the earthquake and the fire. And sometimes the way that God shows up is through the silence, through the, the presence that seems like no presence at all. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm asking God for something, whenever I want guidance, I want God to do something, usually I, I have a desired outcome in mind, you know? And it's like, I'm asking God, what do you want me to do? But it's really like, God, I'm going this way, and if you could just give me a thumbs up, that would be cool. But, and sometimes that's how it works, but not usually. Because despite our expectations, God's voice really conforms to that. But here's why this is really important. If we're not careful... We'll listen for the voice that we expect to hear. And so if Elijah expected wind, that's, that sounds strong, that sounds powerful, that's, that's how God is going to show up, and he walked out, he would have missed God passing by. He, he wouldn't have been there anymore because the voice he expected to hear spoke, and he followed it. Or if he expected God to show up in an earthquake or in fire, he, he would have totally missed it. And whenever we listen only for the voice that we expect to hear, we're in danger of missing God's word for us. So how do we do that? How do we discern God's voice? I think uh, Paul's words to the Romans help here. In uh, chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He talks about discerning what is the will of God, and whenever we talk about hearing God's voice, I mean, that's really what we're talking about, discerning the will of God. Figuring out what does God want of me in, in this situation? What does God desire of me? What would God have me choose? What would God have me, have me do? How, how is God calling me to live? Where is God in this moment? And so how do we do that? Well, we start by seeking God in solitude. What we see in Elijah is that whenever he was at his rope's end, what he did was he ran off to a holy place to be alone with God, to seek God in solitude, and there he encountered God. And if your life is anything like mine, it's really loud. There are a lot of competing voices. There's a lot of noise going on. And, and some of that is self-inflicted, right? I probably don't have to have, uh, have the TV on or a podcast going or whatever else 24-7, and sometimes I do that. But if we want to hear God's voice, then we have to step back from the noise. We have to find a place that's quiet where we can actually listen, where we can actually spend time with God in prayer, reading scripture, seeking God in silence. And whenever we do that, we're able to, to realize, you know, this thing that I'd taken for granted that I thought was the path I was supposed to follow, that's, that's not God's voice. That's just another voice that I picked up along the way that I've been listening to without even realizing it. Whenever we sit in the silence, we can sort things out and discern where is the voice of God actually in this moment. But then we don't stay in solitude. It's important for us to step away and to have those moments alone with God. But then we move into community and seek God together. Because we need help. We, we don't have things figured out, and there are often times whenever we're confused, whenever we are struggling, whenever we even are going through dry times, and, and it just feels like, you know, we pour our hearts out in prayer and, and hear nothing. We hear the, the sound of sheer silence. We need people around us who, who are prayerful and who can help us in those moments, who can support us, who can encourage us, and, and who can ask us hard questions that, that sometimes we need to hear. 
people who can help us to discern God's will together because it's not something that we can do by ourselves. Parker Palmer's an educator and a writer, and he talks about uh, a time in his life whenever he was offered a, a really great opportunity. He had been all but offered the position as president of a college. And, uh, you know, that, I, I imagine, was a really good opportunity for him, lots of prestige. Uh, he had the opportunity to shape an entire institution. I, I'm guessing it was a pay raise for him, maybe not, but probably. And so it was a great opportunity, and he had pretty much decided that he was going to go with it, but um, he's a Quaker, and the Quaker tradition has this practice known as a clearness committee. And uh, you'd gather a few people, I think about half a dozen, and, and just sit together, and the people who are helping you discern something would just ask you honest open-ended questions with lots of silence in between uh, just to contemplate and to be prayerful. And he said this one lasted about three hours. And so they gathered and they started asking him questions about the position. And, and at the beginning, it was easy. There were questions that he had thought about. You know, what, what is your vision for this institution? And, and he knew that. How does this institution serve God's will? How does it serve God's mission in the world? And he thought of that. And then they asked him, what do you, would you like most about being president of this college? And he thought for a minute, and he didn't have an answer. And so he just kind of started talking. You know, whenever you don't have an answer, and you just kind of start talking. I imagine that's how it went. And uh, he said, well, you know, I wouldn't be able to teach and write as much. I wouldn't really like that. I'd have to do a lot of shaking hands and fundraising and talking to people who have money and because they have money, and I don't think I would really like that. And I'd have to go to a bunch of committee meetings, and that doesn't sound like very much fun. And at that point, someone stopped him. They said, Parker, you heard the question, right? We asked you what you would like. And he said, yeah, yeah, I'm getting to that. I'm working my way there. And he kind of continued, and, you know, I'd have to wear a suit and tie every day, and I don't think I would like that. And finally, it hit him. He, he realized what he really would like about it. And uh, he would rather have kept it to himself, but he'd invited these people in to, to help him discern this. And so he shared it with him. He said, you know, what I think I'd really like most about being president is having my picture in the paper with the word president underneath it. And uh, he, he felt that big, and uh, it was just silence afterward. And finally, someone looked at him and said, Parker, don't you think there's an easier way to get your picture in the paper? <laughs> you know, sometimes we need those people who can see the things that, that we can't or, or can ask us the questions that we need to hear because there may be situations like that where, where everything that you can think of, every voice that, that you hear says, this is it, take this, this opportunity is made for you. And while it may be a great opportunity, having those prayerful, wise people in our lives that, that we can ask those questions can, can help us ask, well, is there anything that you would like about this? And if the answer is no, maybe that's not the place that God wants us. We need those people who can help us in those situations to discern what is God's will whenever I can't get there by myself. This is what Henry Nouwen said, how Henry Nouwen says, discernment grows out of the life of faith rooted in community. As we live out those practices of faith, both in solitude and in community, we begin to be able to hear God's voice. We begin to discern God's voice from all the noise. Finally, we seek God with renewed hearts. Basically what Paul says in Romans 12 too, we, we seek God with transformed hearts, not, not as, as we once were, but as God is making us. And as we grow in God's love, as we come to know God better, as our hearts unite with God's, as, as the, our wills become one, then we're able to hear God in a way that, that we just couldn't. Now, I don't know, Pastor Mark, I hope I'm not ruining the rest of the series, but there's not one easy step to hearing God's voice and you just snap your fingers and do it. If that's what you're hoping for, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't want to disappoint you, but, but it's not, there's no one easy way to do it. 
it's a long path of growing and hearing God better and learning who God is. And as our hearts unite with God's, then we're able to hear God's voice gradually over time. Not in an instant. I do think God sometimes will speak in a moment to us regardless of uh, where we are. But, but for the most part, as we're discerning God's will, that happens as our hearts grow into God's. And, and so if you want to know God's voice, seek God's heart. Seek God's heart. As our, our hearts are transformed as we grow together, then we're able to hear those things. You know, some of you were um, downtown last weekend uh, while we were worshiping and you were running a marathon, or some of you were back at home and, and in recovery already by the time uh, worship time rolled around. Congratulations on the good time. But, uh, you know, if, if we asked you, what, what is, I, I want to run a marathon too. What's one thing that I can do to run a marathon? Is there like one workout that I can do that'll get me there? Like, you know, I know that the longest run you did was 20 miles. If I just do that, can I run a marathon? You know what the answer is. No. I mean, you can't do that. I mean, if you're already like in Olympic shape, maybe. But it's not one thing that you can do. It's weeks and months of training. It's miles and miles, I mean, hundreds of miles to prepare for that. And if we want to hear God's voice, it's, it's weeks and months. It's just those daily deposits of investing our time, of spending that time in silence, spending that time in prayer alone and with our community. And over time, God changes us. And though from day to day, we can rarely see the difference, over time, there's a world of difference as God forms us and shapes us. And so here are our action steps for today. Here are what I want to challenge you to do this week. First, I want you to spend at least two minutes in silence each day. Last week, Pastor John challenged you to spend one time of silence uh, during your prayer time this week. I'm upping it to every day. Sorry if you checked it off and thought, okay, I'm done with that. It's back. But if you're like me, we need that time of silence. I think maybe today more than ever before, one of the most important spiritual disciplines is, is silent prayer. Just spending time in centering prayer and, and contemplative prayers is often called it. And just listening just spending time in God's presence and not saying anything, but just listening. I think we need that so badly to turn off all of the devices, all of the noise, all, everything that's going on. If we really want to hear God and know him, we need to spend time in silence. So I want to challenge you to, uh, to spend two minutes each day in silent prayer, just spending time in God's presence, just listening to God. And, you know, maybe to do that, what you need to do today is figure out, okay, each day this week, when is a time that I can shut off all the devices, that I can close my door without fear of anyone walking in and and wanting something? When can I make that time? But make that a priority this week. See God in solitude. Two minutes each day. If if two minutes is easy, if you're like, oh yeah, I can do that, then maybe add a zero. But whatever that is for you, spend at least two minutes. And then identify people who will pray for you and for whom you can pray. Whenever you get into a situation where maybe you're not going to be offered the position of college president, I mean, maybe you are, but whatever that that decision is that you have to make, whenever that challenging situation comes up, if it's a change of job, maybe you're about to graduate from high school and have to figure out what's next, maybe it's a decision with your family, something difficult is going on, you have to figure out what's next. Who are those people that you can call and say, you know, I've got this decision that I have to make, I really need you to be praying for me, or can you help me to discern this? I really need some guidance. Who are those people? And then who are the people that you're there for as well? Who are those people that can call you? And maybe that's a relationship that that you have, but you need to strengthen so that you get to a place where you can ask those questions, where you can pray for one another. But who are those people? 
you know, we hear all of, all of these voices all the time, and, and they tell us things like, you'll be happy if you, if you buy this suitcase. You'll have everlasting peace. They tell us, you know, if, if you accept this position, then you'll have, you'll have your name in the paper, and it'll say president underneath. Or if you, if you earn this much, then people will think that you're great and, and will respect you. We, some of them say if you don't do this, then you're nothing. If you don't have this, then, then why are you even here? We need to be able to cut through all of that noise and hear the voice of the one who says we're beloved, of the one who says you're mine. My son came for you. He died for you. He rose so that you might have eternal life with me. I love you. Because that's the only voice that matters. And if we don't hear that voice, if we miss it, then we miss everything. So that's my challenge for all of us, myself included. Listen for that voice. Listen to the voice who says, you are mine, I love you. Will you pray with me? God, we're so grateful that you speak to each one of us. That... No matter what, whether it, it sounds like there's a tornado strength wind outside or, or if we only hear silence, that God, you're speaking, that you're with us, that you're guiding us, that you're giving us your grace. So we pray this morning that you would help us to hear you and help us to have the kind of relationship with you that, that your son has. Let our hearts be as yours. Let our hearts be as his. And as he taught us, so we pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.